everybody in the room, everybody tuning in online, all of our Porch Live locations. I'm gonna list those out. Porch Live, Fort Worth, North Houston, Austin, Texas, Midland, Texas, Scottsdale, Arizona, Boise, Idaho, Tulsa, Oklahoma, Cincinnati, Ohio, Des Moines, Iowa, Indianapolis, Indiana, Greater Lafayette, Indiana. We are, not sure what that was, but we are wrapping up this series, His and Hers, and finishing up a conversation about dating. On the topic of dating, this week marks an interesting week for myself and my wife because 10 years ago this week, we got married. Here's a, yeah, thank you, thank you. Here's a picture of our wedding. Uh, JP actually did the wedding, it was 10 years ago, fun fact. It was the first ever Shane and Shane Porch Christmas concert, so they like popped over there. Shane took his hat off, sang a song, came back over. It was a blast. We got married. And so to celebrate for 10 years, you got to go big. So I did what any person would do. I booked a 10-year anniversary trip through Costco. Okay? Yes. They don't just sell paper towels. You can also go to Paris and Rome. Now, when I booked this trip, true story, I didn't know quite what to expect. I, I was basically the guinea pig of this whole operation because I didn't know anyone who had ever done Costco travel before. You walk by it, if you've ever gone to Costco, it's right there in these little pamphlets. And I was like, man, interesting. And I'm kind of a sucker for a deal. And I typed in the price and it was shocking. It was like, certainly this is a down payment or something. This is not the entire thing. And it was. So I didn't know if this was gonna be amazing or you get what you pay for. And I'm gonna have the, I'm the guy that's telling the story for the rest of his life. So on our 10 year anniversary, get this one. I booked a Costco trip and just living with that, but it was amazing. And we went for the last week or a week ago, we went for seven days to Paris and Rome and I'd never been there before. And so I just went full sin in research mode to make sure we maximized our time. I'm reading books on the city of Rome. They've got podcasts out there that you can download and listen to. And I just went full send to make sure that I took advantage of this one shot we had, potentially, maybe ever, to see some of the most incredible cities on earth. Now, what does that have to do with what we're talking about tonight? Well, we're in a series on dating and love and relationships. And our hope in heart is to, as best we can, give you as much information from God's word and truth and wisdom to help you succeed and have one amazing shot at this thing called marriage, which is the point and really what dating is meant to lead you and be a path towards. And so last week, we opened up a conversation about the ladies and men, who to date and what she should look like, and ladies, who to strive to be and what God's word has to say. And tonight, we're going to talk about the his and the his and hers, specifically to the ladies in the room. Any ladies in the room tonight? <laughs> who you should look for as it relates to a potential spouse that... This is the character and characteristics that you should make required for any guy who is going to date you. And what I hope to do in the next 30 minutes is not to beat down on the guys at all, but rather to paint a picture men for who to strive to be, who God calls us. And I believe in you. You have got it through God's spirit, living with God's people. 
You can be God's man. And I want to paint that picture and look at a passage in 1 Timothy chapter 3. So if you have a Bible, you can flip over to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Here's what we know about 1 Timothy. It was written to Timothy by the Apostle Paul. And Paul writes and he gives instructions on what the leaders of a church should look like. Now, what does that have to do with dating and love? Well, the Bible says that God calls the church his bride. In other words, when God says, here's the type of men I want to lead my bride, the church, he gives us really a blueprint for what men in general we should strive for. In other words, if this is the type of man that God says is qualified to lead his bride, it's also the type of man that can lead you as a bride or in being and pursuing allows you to be someone worthy of leading a bride, not the church bride, but a wife. So we're going to look at six characteristics from this passage. I'm going to read all the way through it and then pull out six different things to strive for to look at what God calls ladies you to look for in a husband and us as men to pursue and prioritize becoming. So 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 says this. Here is a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer, or it may say elder, it's the same word there. It's just a leader within the church. That's all that that means. Desires a noble task. That's a good thing. Now the overseer or the leader of my bride, the church, must be above reproach. He's faithful to his wife. He's temperate, self-controlled. He's respectable. He's hospitable or welcoming and warm. He's able to teach. He knows God's word and he's able to teach it. He's not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well, as in he leads his family well. And see that his children obey him. And he must do so in a manner worthy of full of respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own house or his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited or arrogant and fall into the same judgment as the devil. He must have a good reputation with outsiders. That he's a reputation that is positive even among non-believers, so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Now, there's a lot of characteristics, and really what I want to do is succinctly put them into six different criteria that men, whatever and wherever you are at in your journey, today you can start pursuing and becoming. And so we're going to look at six different things directly from this text as it relates to the type of husband to look for. In other words, if you're dating somebody and they don't have these characteristics, that should be concerning. And the type of person that you should allow to date and have a relationship with you, if you're a lady, should have these characteristics we're going to talk through, these six. So the first one that you should examine, all six of them are things that, hey, it's you're in the dating time. This is, this is the process of evaluating, is this a person I want to continue on this path uh, called dating towards marriage? And I need to examine these six things. The first thing that you need to examine is his commitments, his commitments. Every guy in the room is committed to a lot of different things. Some of them committed to the Cowboys, Dallas Cowboys. Some are committed to their job. Some are committed to, you know, Call of Duty. Some are committed to a myriad of different things. 
but specifically evaluate his commitments to the local church and his commitment to the covenant of marriage. And I'm going to unpack both of those. But the first one, is he committed to a local church? The scriptures command that you and I are to be connected to a body, a local church, not at the porch. The porch is not a church. It's a ministry within Watermark, which is our church, my church, that you are to be connected to a local church in order so they can control you? No, because it's one of God's ways of caring and protecting and caring for you. Are they committed and listening to God's word saying, man, I'm going to be connected to a local church. I'm going to live in community with other guys. I'm going to walk openly and honestly about where I'm struggling, where I could use prayer with other guys. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, it describes teaching and the role that really elders, which Watermark is elders, church leadership, they're to play in caring for the people that God has a part of their church community. It says this, have confidence in your leaders, submit, listen to their authority, because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so their work will be a joy and not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. The Bible just said, hey, that at the end of life, at the end when Jesus returns in eternity, elders and leaders within a local church are going to give an account for the people that made up their local church. Are you connected to a local church? It's there that you're gonna receive care, accountability, encouragement. One of the greatest sources of blessing to my life, to my wife, to our world or my world is my community group that we've been with eight years, that we meet every single week, sometimes multiple times a week. They know where I need prayer. They know where I need to improve or do better or love my wife better. They know the struggles and temptations that I face and they provide care and are a source of God's provision. If you're dating somebody and for whatever reason, and there's gonna be a lot of excuses, they're gonna say, oh, you know, I listen to a lot of the podcasts and I really, I like to stream church from home and I like to check out a, different, a number of different churches. Like if I was to talk to you down front, you have a reason why you're not connected to the church. It's just not a good one or a biblical one. And God says you and I are to be connected to a local body as a source of receiving care, encouragement, and support. And quite frankly, it allows other people to know you, like really know you. Like, man, if you came down front and you asked me to pray for you, I'd love to pray for you, but I don't know you. I don't know the ins and outs of your life. But here and at a local church, you can get known and cared for and allow other people to see into your life and see, quite frankly, blind spots you have. You don't even realize you have them. It's like this. When I was 22, for the first time, when I came on staff at Watermark, I'd never had uh, dental care before. So I never went to the dentist. 22 years growing up. I know. It's shocking. And I go to the dentist and it was the first time I was like, this is cool. I get to go to the dentist, sit back in this comfortable chair and, you know, experience the whole, whole nine yards. And she comes in, does x-rays. And I'm like, that's cool. They're doing x-rays. My mom just, for whatever reason, she was like, your teeth are straight. Get back in the game. So that's how we lived. And I get the x-rays and he comes out and says, Man, your teeth are straight. That's great. Um, you have 14 cavities. <laughs> I know. It was like, what? And he begins to ask questions like, how much soda are you drinking? You know, how often are you brushing, flossing? Are you sleeping with candy in your mouth? Uh, what is causing this? And he was able to see an area of my life 
that due to just habits or not proper dental hygiene was creating problems in decay. And in a very similar way, it's inside of the church that not we open up, you know, your mouth for a dental procedure, you open up your life and you allow people to speak into and to see the dysfunctional behavior and dating that you have and speak to it from God's word. Not to, you know, shame you or hurt you, but to care for you, help you. That we benefit from others in our life as God's protection and provision of care. The second thing he needs to make sure, and I'm going to move quicker through the rest of these, is that he is committed to the covenant of marriage. This is really important, okay? If you miss everything else that I say and you hold on to this, it'll be worth your time. Marriage is not a contract. What's a contract? You have a contract with AT&C or Spectrum. Contract is you give me certain services, and as long as you maintain that, I give you a certain fee. It's not a contract. That's not what marriage is. It's not a commitment. It's not simply a commitment. In other words, it's not just, you know what, I'm committed to this. Marriage, biblically, for Christians, is a covenant. What's a covenant? A covenant is a relationship that two people voluntarily enter into that only ends in death. Is the person you're dating of a mindset that, hey, marriage is not something that we just try, and if it doesn't work, you know, we'll figure something out. No, marriage is a covenant. And when we stand before one another and make crazy promises, you know, that's what they do at a wedding. I mean, promises that are extraordinary. Hey, I am with you for better or worse, sickness and in health, richer or poor, whatever comes in front of us until death do us part. Are they committed to the covenant of marriage? How do you know? Ready? You ask them. What do you think about marriage? What do you believe about it? And if they say, you know, as long as the person stays in a certain fitness level and does everything that I want, then I'm married, you run for the hills and you go red flag, red flag, red flag, because they don't understand what marriage is. Marriage is a lifelong covenant. Every couple that I've ever done marriage counseling with or done their wedding will do two-on-two counseling, and I'll ask the same question. Is there any situation in which you would divorce Kyle, you would leave Lisa? They always say the same thing. Oh, no, no. Okay, if Lisa ends up sleeping with your cousin and runs off to the Himalayas, you're still in. You're chasing, you're pursuing, you're prioritizing caring for her. <laughs> well, I mean, if she sleeps with my cousin and goes to the Himalayas, I mean, that's a whole different thing. Okay, great. I'm going to write that one down. Okay, we're going to put these in the vows. Till death do us part or till you sleep with my cousin and you run off to the Himalayas. I mean, that's the truth. Grandma's not going to like it on the second row, but that's the truth. And so let's be honest. Is the person you're dating committed to the covenant of marriage? Jesus in Matthew 19, we don't have time to look at all of it. He says something and he teaches on marriage. And he says, it was never meant to be something that could break. It's a lifelong commitment. And it was so breathtaking to the disciples, they said, if that's the case, it may be better to not get married. And Jesus doesn't say, oh, no, 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 no. Marriage is amazing. Yes, it's amazing. He says, everyone who can accept this should accept this teaching. It's God's design, this lifelong covenant together. Is he committed to the covenant of marriage? Number two, you want to examine his humility. His humility. What is humility? Humility 
is not thinking less of yourself as though he's always putting himself down or he has low self-esteem. That's not humility. That can actually be pride because it's still focused on self. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking about yourself less, that he's constantly focused and concerned about other people around him. Is his life marked with humility? First Peter chapter five says, everyone should clothe themselves like you daily get up. And as my friend says, I want to wear humility as I walk into whatever meetings and whatever is in front of me today. What does humility look like? It looks like I'm gonna ask for forgiveness. I'm gonna own my part. I'm gonna move in their direction. That when I'm wrong, I wanna say I was wrong. I wanna have a teachable spirit and not assume that I can't learn. The scripture says in this text, it says that he must not be a recent convert. And he's talking about leaders in the church because the danger of being conceited or arrogant and falling under the same judgment as the devil. The devil, we know in scripture, is the ruler of evil and darkness inside of this world. But at one point he was an angel. Scriptures say that he was cast out from heaven. Why? Well, when he was an angel, he didn't want to worship God. He wanted to be worshipped as God. He had pride. Is the person that you are dating, does humility mark their life? Perhaps of the whole list, this is one of the more important ones because without humility, you won't get connected to a church. Without humility, you're not going to be willing to listen to other people. Without humility, you're not going to be willing to say, you know, I think I was wrong. Does humility mark their life? What's interesting, ladies, and let me just pick a little bit on the ladies. There is something that consistently women will find themselves attracted to the arrogant, cocky jerk. And I don't know what it is, and it's puzzling. And, it, you know, you go back through, all the way back to high school and the quarterback that just was all arrogance. And there's something that ladies can find attractive that quality will not be something you find attractive in marriage. It'll be something that drives a wedge in your relationship. On the flip side, humility is something that always looks good on everybody and will always look good. In other words, humility, it's the little black dress. It's the thing you go in, looks good every single time. In fact, men, let me just say this to you. If you, know, you got a face made for radio, you can be more attractive today. Some of you guys are just getting that right now. <laughs> you will be more attractive today if you are humble, you can, man, if you will learn and practice humility overnight, you are immediately, because humility looks good on everybody. You need to examine their humility. Is their life marked with humility? Number three, examine their reputation. If humility is one of the most important, their reputation, candidly, ladies, is one of the ones that often is most overlooked or neglected or excused away. You need to examine his reputation. The scripture says in this passage we read, he must have a good reputation with outsiders. Not even just within the church, he's well thought of and respected. Even with outsiders, when he's at work, when he's around non-believing family members, they speak well of him. What is the reputation of the guy or girl, but in this case, the guy that you're dating? The good news is no matter what your reputation, if you blow in every single one on this list, God isn't done with you. He can still write an amazing story. But what is the reputation? Is he known for being flaky? Is he known for not keeping his word when he says he's gonna do something? 
Or is he known for being generous and kind? He's known as the guy who shows up to serve and help when somebody needs to move. He's known as the guy who constantly is giving friends rides to the airport. He's known as the guy that is always looking out for family members and needs that they have. What is his reputation for good or for worse? Is he a known commodity? One of the ways that you can know his reputation is by being in an environment where he's known. This goes back to the first point of being connected to a local church, that he's known by people in his life. And he's not a perfect guy by any means, but people know him and his reputation is one that is good with believers and non-believers. What is the reputation that he has? This is candidly why online dating is so dangerous. And it's the number one way that people meet today. But the reason it can be dangerous is anybody can look good over a cup of coffee and in their Instagram profile or their online dating or their Hinge or their Bumble or whatever profile, but you don't actually know them. Versus if they're connected and have other believers and they have roots inside of a church and a reputation that goes before them. Whenever we were in Europe, I would go onto TripAdvisor and I would evaluate everything that, anything that we were going to do or any place we were going to stay, man, I wanted to go look at the good, the bad, and the ugly of every place. So I just went, again, full tilt. I'm in there reading the reviews. I want to know the recent bad ones, not just all the glowing ones that somebody in the hotel staff wrote themselves. I want to know like the crazy Karen Josiah mentioned, what is she saying? I want to know the good, the bad, the ugly, everything about it. So I go in with eyes wide open. In the process of dating, it is evaluating It is them interviewing for the position of husband, interviewing for the position of your children's father. You cannot be too careful and take serious or take too seriously knowing who they are and the person that you're dating them. What is their reputation? You need to examine what are they known for by the people in their life. If they have a reputation, just like in that scenario where you go on TripAdvisor and you see, oh man, this hotel, there's a number of different bad reviews. You know what the good thing about that scenario with that hotel? You can get new management. You can make decisions and all of a sudden operate in a different way. And those reviews begin to change. You can begin to see, oh man, they really started to operate things differently. The same thing is true in life. No matter what your reputation, you may have a string of bad relationship after relationship after relationship and ways that you blew it, men. God isn't done with you. And if you surrender to him and walk with him, he can begin to rewrite that story. I believe in you. You can do it, but you have got to decide, I'm going to trust God's way. What is his reputation? All right, number four. Examine, does he have initiative. Does he take initiative? He initiates. He has drive. He is not constantly or just simply spending every waking moment playing Fortnite. He has initiative, specifically in the context of leading and leading in a dating way. The scripture says in this passage, it says he must be able to manage his own family well. It's talking about leadership in the home. You're looking for somebody who can lead your family and initiate and be a part of initiating and leading and caring for your future home. Does he have initiative? Biblically, leadership is synonymous with serving. Jesus would say that in Matthew, excuse me, Mark chapter 10. Biblical leadership is 
chief servant. And having initiative is one of the ways, men, that you can serve her. What do I mean? It looks like this. What does it look like to show initiative? It means that you initiate the date. It means you go up to her, and this is going to be scary because, ladies, you don't realize it. You're scary. You got all the earrings and nails and all this stuff, and guys, are they look tough on the outside, but there's a little part. Which it's just intimidating. And you're going to go up despite that intimidation. You know what you're going to do, men? You're going to flex the courage muscle. And you're going to go up to her, and you're going to say, hey, Karen. Um, <laughs> I would... <laughs> It's like our third Karen reference tonight. <laughs> I apologize. Uh, whatever your name is, I would like to take you on a date this Saturday to the Mavericks game. Yeah. Or, <laughs> I got all the Mavs fans, good. I would like to take you out to dinner this weekend to go to the Perot Museum. I would like to take you out for coffee this Sunday afternoon. Here, you, you're very specific. I would like to take you on a date and then you fill in the blank showing that you have prepared, you have a plan, you're showing initiative, you're giving clarity on exactly the ask. We talked about it a few weeks ago. You don't just go up and say, hey, you don't, uh, got anything going Saturday or you want to chill? You say, I'd like to take you on a date and here's what I'd like to do. Then you give her a chance to respond. And if she doesn't have a response in that moment, you say, it's okay, you can take time and let me know. I'd like to take you out on a date and get to know you better. You use your words and you initiate. Now, I answered this a couple weeks ago, but let me come back to it. Ladies, can ladies ask guys on a date? No. <laughs> sure. I mean... It depends what you mean. Like, like if you ask him out, does that mean you're going to hell? No, that's not what the Bible <laughs> Is it best? Well, God said that man is to be the chief leader and sacrificer for his family and in his home. And already it's the first opportunity to initiate that he's not even doing. It doesn't communicate his leadership. The other thing that you're going to do, and this shows initiative, is all throughout the dating process, you took her on a date, and then you're going to continue to bring clarity. So if you don't want to go on a second date, you don't just say, I'd like to, I hope to see you again sometime, because that's not true. You tell the truth. If you do want to go on a second date, you say, I've really enjoyed this first date. I'd love to take you on a second date. You never leave her wondering. Here's the truth. Ladies, they wonder. They're wondering Guys, guys, we just fixate on one thing. We're not even thinking about anything for like the entire day. But ladies, it's always going up there and they're wondering and you don't want to leave her wondering. And so you never want her to go, I don't know where we, what's going on with us and is he interested or he's kind of giving me just confusing vibes. None of that happens. You drive clarity because you're a man who's going to step up and show initiative and communicate. I would like you to be my girlfriend. When that moment comes, you're driving clarity into the relationship. If you're not sure the relationship should go forward, you communicate that with her and you all along the way are showing initiative in how you lead and bring clarity to the relationship. We've said before, leaders remove confusion. You're going to remove any confusion because we don't play games. Games are for kids. You're a follower of Jesus and a godly, pursuing being a godly man and you're going to lead her in that way. This also means leading her in purity. You're going to honor God by prioritizing maintaining sexual boundaries. Sex, I'm going to honor you and honor God by leading you in purity. Now, let me answer this question because there's a lot of confusion around like, hey, women, are, do you submit to the guy that you're dating? Ready? No. Scripture says that wives submit to a husband as husbands submit to the Lord. So until he puts a ring on it, 
And until he is in the position of, hey, I, because the scripture also says, guys, you're called to die daily for your wife. Until he's in that position, you're not in the position of submitting to anything. And his role is to be the chief servant in how he leads and cares and initiates with you in this time and in the marriage. All right, number five, examine his self-control. The passage we read talks about at least three areas, but several areas that he, as a leader of a bride, should exhibit self-control. And he brings up three areas. It says he's faithful to his wife. He's self-controlled. He's not given to drunkenness. He's not violent, but gentle. So here's three areas to evaluate. Alcohol, anger, and adultery. Alcohol, anger, and adultery. If he is getting drunk in front of you, that's a red flag. And maybe the reason you don't see it that way is because you're getting drunk in front of him. And it's just kind of part of your relationship. That is a reflection of red flags in both directions. Does he exercise self-control as it relates to anger? Like if he is getting in fights at the bar over the latest, you know, Cowboys game, that's a big red flag. You are so valuable, God would die on a cross for you. Staying in a relationship with somebody who is belligerent and acting out in his anger, it's not worth your time. And that sounds not gracious. My point is to not be gracious. It's you are deciding. You can extend him grace and forgiveness, but not your hand in marriage. Because you're evaluating, is this the spouse and father and husband that I want to commit my life to? And then he brings up adultery, that he's faithful to his wife. Like people will write in and ask or ask the question, hey, my boyfriend cheated on me. What should I do? Let me give the answer. Ready? You break up with him. You break up with him. He has shown that he's not in a healthy place and you can pray for him and hope that he gets to a place where he's not cheating on anybody with anybody. But you don't date him. You don't move towards marriage with him. If he is looking at porn consistently, you should break the relationship and take time to get healthy. And it's, uh, man, pornography is a big part of my story for years. And the opportunities to get healthy, they're all around here, going to region, Signing up for covenant eyes and getting it placed on your phone to struggle well so that you're not training yourself for variety, which is what pornography does. And you're exhibiting self-control. If he's pushing and pressuring you to go physically farther than God's word says, that's a red flag. Is he exhibiting and exercising self-control? Because if he's not right now and you're dating, what makes you think he will? when you're married. If he's not right now saying, hey, I have the ability to not sleep with someone who's not my wife. What's gonna magically turn that ability off whenever you guys get married? Then he's gonna exercise self-control? In other words, right now you're evaluating the pattern of their life, which is a far more in the path that their life is on it's a far greater indicator than a promise that they're going to make. People can make promises all the time. What's 
much more powerful is the path that their life is on. In other words, right now, the World Cup's going on. USA today, did anyone not see? Anyone know the score? I'm about to ruin it, so close your ears. Okay, ready? USA today beats Iran, takes them down one to zero on the path to victory. Now, Iran, despite having lost, they could say, hey, no, but we promise we are going to win the World Cup. What is a much more important variable or factor or determining factor, if that's going to happen, is not the promise they make, it is the path they are on. And in the same way, he can sit there and he can make promises about how he'll be and what he'll be and what it'll be like all day long. The promise is not nearly as powerful as the path that his life is on. Is the path of his life one that is moving in the direction that Christ says godly men should be moving? And is he exercising self-control? All right, number six, his trust in God. Evaluate his trust in God. That he really believes God's word. When it comes to living his life and how he thinks about money, how he sees the future, how he thinks about children in the home, how he understands marriage in general, is all of that informed by God's word or his opinions? Like, does he actually, I mean it, does he trust God's word? I'm going to live and look to God's word for direction. It says that he has to be able to teach it so that he can teach children and teach God's word, which means he needs to know God's word and live by God's word, which means he trusts God's word. Examine his trust in God, that he trusts God. In, in Titus chapter 1, it's a very similar passage, covers elders as well. It says, leaders of God's bride must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it's been taught so he can encourage others with sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. That when it comes to life, he's constantly going to God's word and saying, man, hey, this is, how, this is how I naturally think about it, but this is really what God's word says about X topic. This is how I naturally think about love, sex, dating, but this is what God's word says. This is how I think about my job and my boss, but this is what God's word says. He's constantly looking to it for direction. When we were in Paris, we would take the metro, which is the subway basically of Paris, and we were on such a tight schedule, like I said, because I packed everything in there, that I would carry around with me this map of the metro station because I always wanted to make sure we got on the right line to go to the right destination. In other words, I didn't just, you know, pull out the map and go eeny, meeny, miny, moe, pick a tiger by so this one. And then we go to wherever it ended up. I didn't go off of my own perspective. And I mean, I just like the color of that railway. I would look at the map because if I want to end up at the right destination, I have to make sure that I get on the thing that is moving in the right direction. I follow the directions. Does he look to God's word as his guide, source of direction? Or does he look to the opinions of friends and the world around him? Or does he trust God's word? In other words, you're looking for someone who's committed to the church, who's marked by humility, whose reputation is one that brings honor to God and to himself, has initiative, has self-control, and trusts God's word. You're looking for someone who's in relationship with Christ, 
who is walking with Christ. You're not going to find a perfect husband. There is no perfect husband. There's no perfect man. There is only one who's ever lived, Jesus. But the closer in relationship that he is to Christ and the more intimately that he walks with him, the more that he will exhibit all of those characteristics. And you're looking for somebody who is in relationship, walking daily with Christ. To be the leader of God's bride, God says, that's what it takes. And to be the leader of you as a bride. These are the things to look for. And quite frankly, this is not a message of going, guys, hey, pull your bootstraps up and try a lot harder. This is a message of walking in dependence on Christ. That's the only way that anything that looks like Christ begins to show up in any of our lives is by walking in dependence on you, Jesus. I need your help to be the husband that I want to be, to keep my commitments the way that I want to, to be marked in humility. None of that comes from me. Just like none of it comes from you. It comes from walking in dependence on Christ. And if you've never had a moment where you trusted in Jesus as your savior, you don't have a relationship with Christ. You don't have eternal life, to be quite frankly. And your moment tonight is not to try to keep commitments and get plugged into a church. It's to accept Jesus as your savior, the savior of the world who died for your sin. That's what it means to be a Christian. You know that, right? The message of Christianity is not try harder and let's all get a motivational speech and you can go out there and you're gonna do great this week. The message of Christianity is there are no good people. It's not good people in heaven, bad people in hell. It is forgiven people who go to heaven. Only way you and I can be forgiven is by trusting Jesus as your savior, the payment for your sin, that he died in your place and he rose again showing the payment was more than enough. Check cleared, all went through. Everything you've ever done, paid for. And that allows you a relationship with Christ and that's how God begins to bring about these qualities and characteristics. No matter where you are, if you look at all of these and you're like, I've blown it on each one of those. God is not done with you. But you've got to trust him, surrender to him. So I'm going to walk with you. So the ladies in the room who have faithfully been following Jesus, who have prioritized God's word, pursued purity, not settled and lowered your standards, I want you to hear from me I am so proud of you. To the godly men in the room who have walked with Jesus, who are striving imperfectly like we all are to be God's man, I am so proud of you. And if you're in a place where ladies, you're just going, man, I've done those things, but it's just guys that are not asking me out. I have a four-year-old daughter. And for her to grow up and have all the beauty and the clothes and the car and the looks and everything the world says, but not have what you have as a godly woman who says, I trust God and I'm not gonna settle for what other people in the world around me are settling for. I'm not gonna lower my standards because I know my worth. I know my value. I know whose identity or whose image I'm made in. I'm going to trust God. I am so proud of you. And if my daughter grows up to be like you, I will be so proud. Keep going. It's worth it. And men, no matter where you're at, God isn't done with you. And you have a chance that I believe in you. Those of you who know Jesus and you're walking with him, just like me and perfectly with other guys in your life, keep going. It's worth it. And in time, you'll see that relationship prioritized with Jesus, it was worth it. And you look more and more like Christ.
Let me pray. Father, thank you just for the ways you come alongside all of us despite our imperfections, our need for you, and thank you that you rush in to love us and help us. I pray for the guys in the room who are seeking to follow you and honor you, that you would continue to deepen their love for you, their faith in you, their trust in you. I pray for the ladies in the room who are seeking to do the same, you would strengthen their resolve and they would live and walk deeply in relationship with you. Thank you that you loved us so much that you would give your life for us to have relationship in this life with you and for all of eternity. For anyone tonight who has never accepted, believed, or received that, would that change? And they step into the most important relationship they'll ever have, which is with you. We worship you now in song. Amen. You guys, take a seat real quick. <clears throat> oh, man. Thanks, dude. I think I'm good, actually. Here. In 2010, I uh, got asked by somebody named Jonathan Pakluda to come teach at the porch. And it was a very different day. It was like there was 375 people and uh, it was amazing. And since then I've had the chance of seeing God just show up in unbelievable ways. And one of the greatest honors next to being Callie's husband and Monroe and Bear and Crew's dad has been having just a front row seat to see what God has done week after week. It's been amazing. And what he's done all over the country and the privilege of getting invited into dorm rooms and uh, apartments where people are listening or on different walks and, and gyms where people are exercising and just the ways God is been writing amazing stories. And people come down and they're like, the porch changed my life. The porch never changed any life. Jesus changed your life. And it has been so incredible to see him write these stories. And I'll never understand why he would give that privilege for me to get to see. And my wife, who's actually here tonight, <clears throat> and I have for the last 12 months prayed and wrestled and felt like God is leading us to transition to something different. And we don't know what that is. And we're not disappearing. We love this church. But over the last 12 months, it has continued for him to put on our heart, leading to do something different. And the timing doesn't make sense, and I cannot say enough amazing things. I want to be very, very clear. I love this church. I have received more from Watermark in 13 years than I will ever or could ever repay. 
I love our leadership. They have discipled me. They've taught me God's word, how to think so many of the things that even was shared here. I will spend the rest of my life sharing with other people things that I was just poured into and shared by the leadership and the elders here. We love this place and have loved serving and seeing God at work. And we cannot deny, we also feel like God's stirring and leading and that is scary because we don't know what's next and we don't know what that is. We just felt like he was saying, I need you to trust me. I want you to trust me or inviting us to trust him. I love this team. My team is the best team at Watermark. I'm biased, but I think we have the best team, the Ports team, it's incredible. And God is, I believe, going to continue to write amazing stories. The best, brightest days of the ministry are in front and I wanna do anything and everything and come back at any point and any time to help and to serve and to support in any way that I can. But we feel like this is the step that God's leading us to and where we're trying to live out and trust God's word and trust God's will and trust God's way. And so we'd invite you to pray for that and know that we love this place. This was one of the harder decisions that I've ever had to make. And yet we felt like it was God's leading and we love you. I love and I'm so honored and humbled to have gotten to play a small role in the ways that God's at work in so many of your stories. And um, thank you. I'd love to invite our elders or a couple of our elders and some of my team just up here along with my wife just for prayer. And, uh, and these are the men that I mentioned who I love deeply, who have impacted my life greatly and have uh, for years uh, been one of God's greatest amazing gifts. In fact, I'll, I'll say this last thing. When I was at DTS, I had to write a dissertation for my uh, like final paper when I was in seminary. And I said, it was about your church. Like, what's your favorite thing? And I, I wrote um, our elders. And uh, we, we just love this place, man. And so. Can I jump in? Yeah, please. All right. Hey, my name's Kyle Thompson, and uh, I, I've had the joy of serving. Uh, as an elder here at Watermark for over 18 years. And uh, 13 years ago, uh, I was hanging out, met a young guy who was in seminary, uh, just come on staff. And uh, you know, those times when you meet someone, and even though I'm 30 years older than David, there was a real connection and we developed a friendship. And uh, that friendship has only grown over the last decade. Uh, my wife and I, uh, when, when David and Callie got married over 10 years ago, we got to lead their uh, newly married community group. So we got to spend a lot of time together uh, in those early years. And David and I have continued to spend time together uh, over the years. And a couple of things that I wanna say, uh, you know, David is, is one of the most gifted teachers uh, that we've had on staff here at Watermark. 
And one of the things that we want to do first, I, I just want to, I want to publicly thank David uh, for his investment here, uh, for his ministry here, and just the ways that he has allowed God to use him to impact really thousands of lives. And I'm one of them, but I just want to publicly have us thank him for the ways that he surrendered and allowed God to use him here. So... And you know that y'all can y'all can be seated. The, the second thing, um, and and this is so easy to miss, but I, I want to affirm what you heard David say. You know, one of one of the one of the hardest things to do is when we're in a place where uh, we feel like we're thriving and God's using us, and we're comfortable, and we kind of. You know, you're in the, the pattern, you know the routine, is to, uh, to surrender and to have silence and solitude and to hear the voice of the Spirit when He's prodding us to move. And uh, as you heard David say, that, that typically doesn't happen, you know, in a dream or in an instant. That's something uh, that happens over days and weeks and months. And you, you heard him say that he and Callie have wrestled with this uh, for close to a year. I've had the, the privilege of getting to be a part of that process and time that, that David and I have spent together talking and praying and, and, and just uh, being a sounding board, just, you know, in, in affirming that, hey, this, this may be what God's doing as much as uh, we love having you here. And, uh, and so I, I just, you know, to step out on faith like that, especially when you don't know what's next, that's a scary thing. But that's our Bible. I mean, you see that. You saw it in Abraham. You see it all through Scripture. And so as David said, uh, man, you, you guys just continue to pray for them. And, uh, and it's going to be great. I, I love that... Uh, we're going to continue to have shared ministry together with wherever David and Callie end up. Uh, we've got platforms here that uh, we host. And so I'm, I'm excited how, you know, just the ways that we as Watermark are going to continue to, to partner in shared ministry. With, and we don't know exactly what that looks like. But uh, what we want to do, the most important thing we can do and we want to continue to do is I, I want to invite uh, Callie up here because this is a journey for David and Callie. This is not David. And then uh, Blake Holmes, who's our lead pastor and my fellow elder, we lead together here. I want Blake to come up. And then Josiah, I'd love for you and Sam to come up also. And uh, we're going we're gonna, to, I'm going to lead us in, in, uh, in just praying for them, you know, doing what we said. We can talk all day. But uh, God does things supernaturally just as we humble ourselves before him. And so, Father, I do thank you uh, for David and Callie. I thank you for, uh, again, that uh, just the ways that you've used them to love people, to disciple people, to teach. Uh, just thank you for the ways that they honor you by honoring 
your word, uh, by following you, by imitating what Christ would have them do so that they are worthy of imitation. And Father, I do pray that you would overwhelm them with your grace and your love and your peace. Uh, The peace that you give, not as the world gives. And in a way that they can uh, just rest and uh, not operate under a timetable other than what your timetable is. Uh, You tell us in your word that you make our path clear, that in your presence is fullness of joy in your right hand are pleasures forever. And I thank you that that's a promise. And so just as you guide and direct them, uh, that... uh, that you would just, uh, again, allow them to rest in that peace. Father, I do pray that um, you'd uh, direct conversations that uh, you'd even, you know, use tonight as part of that process. We know that there's so many things that you're doing that we don't see, and yet uh, sometimes we get to see the levers that you're, you're pulling and get a glimpse of what that is. And so just thank you for... Uh, the journey that they're on, which is rooted and traced in in, in trust and faith in you, which is what this life is all about. And so I just pray that you would make that clear. We look forward to, again, how we're going to get to to be on stages together and just continuing to follow you as we lock arms in ministry, as we love your people. And so just thank you for the sweetness of relationship, the way you created us for relationship with each other, the way we get to experience uh, just the intimacy of that. And above all, the way we get to experience the intimacy of relationship with you through Jesus. Amen. Blake, I'm going to let you wrap it. All right. Well, um, again, I just, my name is Blake Holmes and um, I just want to publicly thank David as well for serving here faithfully for 13 years. I've been on staff for 20 years. So David and I have had many years serving together. Uh, we've encouraged each other. We've sought the Lord in prayer together. We've admonished one another. Um, and we've certainly laughed with each other. And um, we've laughed. And uh, I got just one story I've got to tell on David. Uh, I won't tell the milk story, David. I won't share that. Who believed he could drink a gallon of milk in less than an hour? And uh, I do remember that staff retreat. Was that your first staff retreat? Uh, I think so. Yeah. yeah. And then the other staff retreat, do you remember the raft that you tried to build oh, yeah. to get us from one side of the pool to the other? <laughs> yeah. He went to A&M, and his raft was about that, uh, about that deep. And it it's certainly took on water at some, the first sec, few yeah. seconds he got in there. I say a lot to go as, hey, listen, you know David is, is a teacher and a communicator. And I know him as a friend, as a brother in Christ. And it really has been an honor and a joy just to, to walk with him. And I know that uh, this year I've been a part of that process as well, that he's, he's felt that stirring of, hey, what's, what's next for me? And, um, and so uh, I know every time there's a, a transition like this, um, right, there's it raises questions, and, and for you, there's candidly, selfishly, there's a part of the, you're probably sitting there going, okay, well, what does this mean for the porch, right? And you could be sad, or you could be mad, or it could be confused by all that, and I get that. 
I totally get that. I, I've, having served here for 20 years, I've had really good friends I've served beside, he mentioned JP, served beside JP for years. I was sad when JP transitioned and I can give many other names, um, but I certainly haven't lost touch with those guys. I love them. In fact, on Friday, I'm spending much of my day with, with JP on Friday and I intend to spend time and laugh and continue to share stories with, with DMARV in the future as well. But as far as just to encourage you, I want to invite you to, to do more than just attend the porch on Tuesday nights. I want to invite you to be a part of the body of Christ at Watermark, um, to join us and be a part of the family that David spoke of. It's God's provision for you. He doesn't intend for you to live your life with him as just a Jesus and me mindset calls you into a family of God where you are loved, cared for, supported, and fully known. And uh, so that's the first thing. And then um, as far as the porch on Tuesday nights in the spring, um, you guys have heard Timothy Atik, TA, uh, some of you from A&M and Breakaway. Uh, he's going to kick off a series for us in the spring. I know you're going to be blessed by. So January 24th, uh, put that on your calendar, and I hope to see you then, Okay. Um, hey, one song that the church has historically sung for generations is the doxology. And, uh, and I know uh, staff come and go. Um, there's going to be a time where I'm going to leave. But there's three things that never change, right? And that's the word of God, the character of God, and the mission of God. Those things never change. And so we're going to stand and we're going to sing what the church has sung for generations, reminding ourselves of the character of God and his goodness. So let's stay and let's do that. We'll close together.